You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Showing that God is the one who will bring world peace. So since 1900... There has been a conflict every year. And when there has been world peace, it's only been for a very short period of time. And over that period, 187 million people have lost their lives. And that information is from the Imperial War Museum, which is an organisation in the UK, and the other resource is the Poly National War Memorial. And I was looking at some information on from they presented that link. And when I counted up the number of wars that they listed, it was 260. What about our current day and age? Well, according to my research, there are three active wars going on at the moment. And of course, The most well-known conflict is that between Russia and Ukraine, which was started, by the way, in 2014 and escalated in 2022, the beginning of this year. It's now been going for seven months. And the consequences of it are destruction of infrastructure, death, displacement, and, of course, war crimes. And then we have Ethiopia. There's a terrible civil war going on there, which also involves Eritrea, which is a a nation to their north, I think, and then Yemen, Yemen, which is in Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia has been involved in that as well. So these these are the wars that are in progress right now. And we'd like to focus a little bit on the Russian hostility to Ukraine, which started in 2014, as we said, and was very much ramped up with an invasion earlier this year. And the images that have come out of that conflict have been confronting, extremely confronting. Millions have left Ukraine for other countries. They have been displaced. They have been uprooted from their lives. Livelihoods have been destroyed. Thousands have been killed and injured. And not so long ago in Butcher, when the Russians were driven out of that area, significant war crimes were uncovered. And again, just a week or so ago, when the Ukrainians were able to drive back the Russians, It was atrocious what they found in Izium with mass graves, evidence of torture and so on and so forth. And war is terrible. War is awful. Here are some images which portray what's happened. Now, this building here was once a place where people called home, where children played. It's not that anymore. It's a ruin. 
These were once people's cars. That was once people's dwelling places, totally destroyed. And you can't imagine the cost to rebuild all of this infrastructure. And here, this photo is from Butcher, and you can see all the crosses there and the Ukrainian flag. These are the burying spots of people who have been killed horrifically. It beggars belief that in this day and age that these things can happen. And given that the Russian president says that the Ukrainians and the Russians are one people, it's, it doesn't make sense that he could unleash such destruction on this nation. What can man do about this? What indeed? Well, the world's reaction has been, in some cases, very much dis disgusted. And in other cases, there's been, well, no response at all from some nations in the world. Mostly it's been the West and the United Nations who have given a measured response. And when we talk about measured responses, the reason for that is because no one wants World War III. And with pictures of the Russian president with his finger hovering over the nuclear weapons button, there's no appetite to escalate. So the world's reaction to the invasion, the Western nations, they, early in the, in the war, they started to apply sanctions and they ramped those sanctions up to ever harsher levels as time went on. In recent times, that's not quite been so the case. Ukraine has been crying out for weaponry. They, had a, they started off with a lot of antiquated Soviet weaponry and since they've been getting fed weapons from the US and the UK and even Australia, they now have much more modern weaponry. And that's one of the reasons that they were able to make a push and take back 6,000 square kilometres of territory. What about the United Nations? Well, the United Nations has certainly issued very strong statements condemning Russia for their acts of aggression. They've called upon Russia to, to cease, to stop the war. They can, they can do it, if they want. But what we've seen instead is that there's been strong pushback from Russia. There's been the threats of, well, not just threats, there's been the cutting off of the energy supplies, and Europe faces a very bleak winter. Over there in the Northern Hemisphere, it's now autumn. Autumn will eventually lead to winter. Winter in the Northern Hemisphere is very, very cold. People won't have fuel. They won't have the heating. And of course, we've read about the, the shelling of the Zaporizhia nuclear facility. We would perhaps remember Chernobyl, and that was very much a smaller 
facility than this one. This is the largest nuclear facility in Europe and it's been subjected to shelling. They've had United Nations inspectors there pleading for an end to the shelling and I believe now the, the facility is being shut down. There have been some wins. The United Nations, with the assistance of the Turkish president, were able to recommence grain sh uh, shipments to starving African nations and other places. But then, as our foreign minister, Penny Wong, alluded to just recently, it's a major problem when you have a permanent member of the Security Council who has veto powers being the aggressor. It essentially stultifies the United Nations from making any declaration and taking any firm action because Russia would just veto it. They have that power. And that's a serious problem for that to arise within the United Nations. So if we look at the United Nations themselves, it's an organisation that came out of the League of Nations after World War II, and this is their charter. They say, and you can read it at that link there, although you can't click on that link because it's the screen, we, the people of the United Nations, determined to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war, which twice in our lifetime have brought untold sorrow to mankind and to reaffirm faith in fundamental human rights in the dignity and worth of the human person, in the equal rights of men and women and of nations large and small, and to establish conditions under which justice and respect for the obligations arising from treaties and other sources of international law can be maintained and to promote social progress and better standards of life in larger freedom. And they are admirable. The, nation, the, the image on the, on, the, on the left of the screen of a man who is beating a sword into a plowshare, that, that, that photo there is actually from Russia. They have a duplicate of what's actually outside the front of the UN headquarters. Uh, it's made by a, um, it, was, it was created in 1959 by a Russian gentleman by the name of uh, Evgeny Vucetich and he donated it or someone gave it to the United Nations and it's over there in front of the building. Now the interesting link here is that when we go to the next slide, the, what, the, the statute that is in the United Nations has a plague underneath it. And that plague has those words inscribed on it. Those words, and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, which he's doing, and their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, they're going to turn military weapons into agricultural weapon um, tools. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, 
neither shall they learn more anymore. End. The interesting point here is that that is an exact quote from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 2 and verse 4. The United Nations claim that as their mantra, I guess. They've, they've adopted that statement as a way of, of, an alternative way of, I suppose, projecting their preamble, their, their goals. And it's a very neat way of summing up what they want to achieve, an end to war. But as we've seen so far, it's something that is very difficult for them to achieve. The context of this particular passage is of interest. Here is, or here are, the two previous verses. And here we read, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. Now when it's talking about the Lord's house, it's talking about a place of worship and shall be exalted above the hills and get this, all nations shall flow unto it. Never seen that yet. And many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Wow, there's a lot to take in in that passage of those two passages of Scripture. You ask yourself the question, what kind of seismic change occurs in humanity that they are prepared to say, let's go up and worship the God of Israel and he's going to teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. What kind of event is going to have such a dramatic change in humanity? I think it's a bit of a stretch, to be honest, to think that the United Nations can link with this particular set of ideas expressed in these verses. This is clearly something beyond humanity to do, as we'll find out as we progress. But this is what's going to happen, and it's in this context that that verse that we that we saw outside of the the United Nations that that's the setting for it. Why is it that man finds it impossible to sustain peace on earth? Remember that passage that that, that quote I showed you at the beginning, where it said that there's been a war every single year since 1900. Why is it that this is the case? Well, think about what's happening with Russia and the United Nations and the fact that they can veto any decision that the United Nations might put to the vote. 
All the Russian has to do is say, Nyet. That's it. Game over. They have pleaded with the Russians and it's, it's resulted in no change whatsoever. What can force the Russian president to change his mind and pull back? What? Can any government, any organisation on this earth do that? The problem is that there is no authority on this planet that can compel an, that leader to do what they want unless they're prepared to plunge the war, the, the world, into World War Three, and essentially go out into the car park and have a good old-fashioned dust-up and send millions to, their, to the grave. No one wants to do that. This is an issue of authority and no one, no one on this earth has the authority to essentially do what my mother would have said and you don't stop fighting or bang your heads together. That's, that's the bottom line. That is why man cannot bring about peace. But there's another reason. This is what Almighty God says to the prophet Isaiah. And I think he also says it to the prophet Jeremiah as well. He says there is no peace unto the wicked. Who are the wicked? Well, not wicked by man's definition, wicked by God's definition. And what does God say constitutes someone as being wicked? Well, that's very simple. Someone who doesn't do what God says. Someone who won't admit or that God even exists. Disobedience to God is wickedness as far as God's concerned. And sustainable peace is only achievable when man is in harmony with God. That's a fact. And to show you that, I'd like to spend some time and talk about a king, an ancient king called Solomon. We talked about what's happened since 1900 and what's happening now. And if you go back through history, you will find that war has been a part of human life since the beginning of time, essentially. It's never been any different. And it wasn't any different when you read the Bible throughout biblical history. There's always been war and conflict. But for there was one small period of time where peace descended on, I suppose you could say, from the context of the Bible anyway, the then known world. And it was the reign of this man, King Solomon. King Solomon's father, King David, was given this promise by Almighty God. Almighty God said to him through a prophet, Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest, or a man of repose, comfort. And I, 
will give him rest from all his enemies round about. Where rest means settlement, settle down. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give him peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. That was God's promise to King David. And here we have the simple reality that it came to pass. Because when God promises something, it's going to happen. It may not happen today, tomorrow, but it will happen according to God's timetable, not man's. This is what the scripture says about Solomon. For he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river, from Tifsar even unto Azar, over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on all sides round about him. And this next passage of scripture, we'll see it again as we progress. This is the state of the nation under Solomon and Judah and Israel, the two parts of, the, of his kingdom, dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree from Dan, the north, even to Beersheba in the south, all the days of Solomon. So what God promised came to pass. Now, one of the things that this stability promoted was all the nations round about got to learn about it. And they all wanted to see for themselves. They wanted to meet this great king. And we've seen very recently the outpouring for Queen Elizabeth, who is very, very highly respected around the world. So we can get the idea of what it means when monarchs from around other nations came to, to visit Solomon. And perhaps the most famous of all, and most people would be aware of the Queen of Sheba, Handel wrote some music in to, called The Arrival of the King, Queen of Sheba in 1789. And this is what she says. Howbeit, I believe not the word, speaking about Solomon and his kingdom, until I came, and mine eyes had seen it, I, th I thought to myself, there's no way it could be this good. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. So this queen was very perceptive. She saw the hand of God in the kingdom of Solomon. But why would God take such an interest in this kingdom? Well, here's the answer. Things are not quite as they seem because we read here, then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord 
as king instead of David his father and prospered and all Israel obeyed him. And again, turn again and tell Hezekiah, who was a king, the captain of my people, and so on. This kingdom of Israel, which was nominally ruled by Solomon and later Hezekiah, was different from all the other kingdoms around because it was the kingdom of God on earth. That's what we're being told. This is God's kingdom. Almighty God himself was the monarch and he was, after the, the reign of King David, there was a time when that nation under Solomon would be given the opportunity to stabilise and to harmonise with Almighty God. And the peace was there to promote that because that's what God wanted for his people. And that, therefore, he orchestrated this. However, despite all that Almighty God did for Solomon, later in his life, perhaps as a consequence of him being human and receiving, getting rather a little bit of an enlarged head as a, from getting all these visits, telling him how wonderful his kingdom was and how wonderful and wise he was, but worse, he departed from God to serve false gods. He served false gods. And Almighty God was extremely angry with Solomon for doing that, for choosing to worship false gods after all that he had done for Solomon. And he said to Solomon, just as he said to David, only this time it wasn't so good. He said, after you die, you, this kingdom is going to be rent in two. And you see we read Judah and Israel. Well, that's how it turned out. The kingdom was rent in two. And Judah was centred around Jerusalem and Israel was basically the northern tribes. And as time went on and successive monarchs ascended thrones, both Israel and Judah drifted ever more towards false gods. They rejected the prophets that God sent them to try to correct them. And as a result, God punished them. And how did he punish them? He brought the nations roundabout to wage war against them. Remember, there is no peace for the wicked. And ultimately it culminated in Assyria, Israel being taken into captivity by the Assyrians who were a powerful people who lived to the northeast of uh, Israel. And then later the Babylonians took the Judah, Judah into captivity. They destroyed Jerusalem. They set fire to the wonderful temple that Solomon had built. And that was the end of the kingdom of God on earth. That was it, the end. And the last king over Israel 
was a man called Zedekiah, King Zedekiah. He was, like all his predecessors, a wicked king, an evil king by God's standards. And this is what the prophet was told to tell, to say, to record about this king. He says about Zedekiah, and thou profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day is come when iniquity shall have an end, thus saith the Lord God. Remove the diadem and take off the crown. This shall not be the same. Exalt him that is low and abase him that is high. I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, and it shall be no more until he come whose right it is, and I will give it him. What's that saying? Well, if we watched the the funeral of Queen Elizabeth, we would have seen the diadem and the crown and what have you, whoops, uh, sitting sitting on her coffin, and eventually that was taken away, and it was given to her son. That's what that means. The the monarchy is being divested of its emblems of power. And the fact that it says three times overturned is like, it's not just doubly sure, it's triply sure that this is the end of this kingdom until he come whose right it is and I'll give it. Now, history in the Bible tells us that from that point on, even 70 years later when the Jews went back to their homeland, never again was there a monarch who reigned on the throne of David because it didn't exist. They were a vassal kingdom. They were ruled by the Babylonians, they were ruled by the Medes and the Persians, they were ruled by the Greeks, and they were ruled ultimately by the Romans. They never were a power a nation by themselves. They were always subject to somebody else. But God says here, yes, that's going to happen, but ultimately someone is going to come and I am going to give him the rights to the diadem and the crown. So the question, of course, becomes, who is it? Well, we don't have to look too far in Scripture to find out who it is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Most people know about the Lord Jesus Christ, but perhaps they don't realise that he was born to be a king. When the Lord Jesus Christ becomes a king, he won't just be king over Israel, although he will be king over Israel. He will be king over all the earth. And what we see with the kingdom of God on earth in the land of Israel, is just a microcosm of what will take place when the Lord comes, the Lord Jesus comes, and takes world authority. And here we see, before he was born, before he was even conceived, an angel came to his mother, Mary, who was a Jewish maiden, and said these words, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. 
and he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, because Mary was of the line of David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So before the Lord Jesus was even born, this is what was said about him, that he would be given the right to ascend the throne of his father David. When the Lord Jesus was born, this is what was recorded. The angels praising God, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Why did they say that? Because they knew that the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ was going to ultimately lead to the fulfilment of all that God has written concerning his plan and purpose on this earth. We don't know an awful lot about the Lord Jesus when he was young, but when he turned 30, he devoted himself to three and a half years of ministry, a ministry of preaching. And what did he preach? Well, we see here in this passage, we're told, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And again, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God. So the Lord Jesus, as the king, is preaching of his kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. He's telling people, he's educating people that the kingdom of God is coming. And what do you need to do about it? You need to be prepared to be living in harmony with God that you might have a part in that kingdom. Sadly, the Lord Jesus Christ was found himself in opposition to the religious leaders. They hated him and they hated him so much that they conspired to put him to death. And with the authority of the Romans, they did so. They crucified him. And despite his best efforts, really, the nation was didn't respond. This is what happened when the Lord stood before the Roman governor, Pilate. Pilate asks him, are you a king? And Jesus says, thou sayest I am a king, to this end was I born. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that he came into the world to bear witness unto the truth of God's word. And everyone that is consistent with God heareth his voice. So you have to be in harmony with God. Jesus was a king. And this is what Pilate perhaps mockingly put over his crucifixion, his cross. This is the king of the Jews, but he wrote it in Greek, Latin and Hebrew, so the major languages of the day. He wanted everybody to get the message 
about Jesus. Now, he unwittingly was proclaiming the truth. This is the king of the, the Jews. And Jesus died. But three days later, his father raised him from the dead. Forty days later, after he'd spent some time with his disciples and educating them and preparing them for what they had to do, he ascended into heaven. And this is what the apostles understood about Jesus. They said, we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside this, today is the third day since these things were done. And they subsequently saw the Lord Jesus. And at the end of the 40 days, they said, they asked him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They knew it was his destiny. And the Lord said, I don't know the time. You don't need to know the time. Only the God of heaven knows the time. And the Lord ascended into heaven where he awaits to fulfill his destiny. And as he was going away, an angel said these words, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come so shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. The Lord Jesus is going to return. Here's what the Apostle Peter said later. He understood at this point in time. Speaking about Jesus, he says, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Now I can tell you that there are many, many passages of scripture which talk about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So for the remainder of our time, we're going to have a look at a number of these prophecies. Here's the first one. This is from Isaiah chapter 9. And we can see as we proceed that it clearly refers to the Lord Jesus. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, which you will recall was promised to Jesus, and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice. These are the qualities of his kingdom. And that last statement, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It's the passion of the Lord of hosts. It's the passion of Almighty God, who is a self-declared jealous God, and he wants people to worship him and to be in harmony with him. And this will be the end result of his work, that people will be like that. And we saw that in that passage where people say, come, let us go up and he's going to teach us and we will walk in his ways. Here's another passage which speaks about the qualities of this king. 
There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now who's Jesse? Well, Jesse is the father of King David. And as we alluded to, the Lord Jesus is of the line of David and therefore of the stem of Jesse. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That is what's going to possess the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it was when he was ministering and preaching. That's how it will be when he will be a king. And the net result is it will make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. So even the Lord Jesus is going to fear the Lord himself, the God of heaven. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, nor reprove after the hearing of his eyes, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. But note this, he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. With a word. This is the man who could stop the wind and the waves. All he needs to do is open his mouth and his word is authority and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Jesus Christ as king will have the full authority of God. He said it himself just before he ascended into heaven. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He was the son of God. He is the son of God. There will be no leader on the face of the earth who will be able to oppose him. None. So forget about all this nonsense of leaders doing bad things in the world. If they try that sort of nonsense when the Lord is the king, it will come to an end very quickly. Very quickly. Okay, so here is another prophecy from the Psalms. And this is taken up by the apostles so that we know that it is actually referring to the Lord Jesus. And the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So Almighty God says unto the Lord Jesus, who is the writer's Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. And who are the enemies of God? Who are the enemies of the Lord? The wicked, those who don't observe the laws and commandments of God. And he shall judge among the heathen. And what will be the consequence? He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. Now we're not glorifying the fact there's going to be a lot of people die. It's more a case of Almighty God won't tolerate disobedience. He won't. And he shall wound the heads over many countries. Now what does that tell you? 
it tells you that he is going to be in control. And here we come to a parallel passage, Micah chapter 4, uh, which our brother Paul read, aligns very closely with the same Isaiah passage that we uh, looked at earlier. In the last days, which is a phrase which allows us to bind a lot of prophecies together, it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow unto it. And as we've read before, many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for the law shall go forth out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is going to be the divine capital of the whole world and Jesus will be the king and people will desire to learn. And these are the words that come afterwards. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off and then they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up war against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Now that's the consequences of the judgments that Almighty God will pour out upon the nations. They will be... This is the seismic shift. This will change people's mindset towards God when they see the power of one who can control the wind and the waves. And you may have seen what's the, the hurricane that's taken place over in, in Canada and what it's done. The forces of nature are, are unbelievably strong and he has control over them. But notice this verse here. We, we alluded to that we'd see it again. They shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree None shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Amen. That's it. That's going to happen. And, and you can see the parallel between the reign of Solomon and the 40 years of peace and the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, which will be very much longer. He's going to reign for a thousand years, the scripture tells us. And that will be a thousand years of peace and stability. Here's another passage. It talks about the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns to the earth and it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation. And the next passage, The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of the nations, what does that mean? Well, it's like rolling up your sleeves to have a good old dust up. It's bearing your arms is a, is a way of expressing there's going to be judgment. There are going to be consequences for the disobedience of men towards God. And you will have seen that we've, we've seen passages that speak about judgment. And here we see that in Zechariah chapter 14, God says, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. This is how he's going to unbear his arm, his holy arm. 
This is how he's going to judge the nations. He's going to gather them all together and they are going to be dealt with. And afterwards, it shall come to pass that every one of that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, so some won't make it through, shall even go up from year to year to worship the King and the Lord of hosts and keep the Feast of Tabernacles. That passage there should make you think of the passage which said with the people, let's go to Jerusalem and let's be taught of God and we'll walk in his ways. And here's another passage which the main idea of this passage that I'd like to bring forth is the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And one of the titles of the Lord Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, one like God, or God with us actually. And Jesus said, when you've looked at him, you've looked at the Father because his mind was just the same as his Father. He was in harmony with his God. And so here we have another one talking about Jerusalem and his exalted status in the world, the joy of the whole earth, the city of the great king, city of our God. That's going to be Jerusalem in the age to come. So, what's the world going to look like? Well, really, there's one passage of scripture that I thought would pretty much sum everything up. We've talked about peace. This passage here is a, is a wonderful passage which tells you about the tranquility and the stability that will be on earth when the Lord Jesus reigns. And the prophet says, and I will actually, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. Uh, and I will heard it. Sorry, this is John, the writer of the, Re, the Apocalypse, Revelation, speaking. He says, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be here on earth as king. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death. Think about that. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. These are the, this is the work of almighty God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he's going to achieve, a world of peace and harmony. It will come to pass. And so, what we have seen is that despite the best efforts of men, and these people that are involved in these agencies don't for one second doubt that they don't try their absolute hardest to achieve their goals. But they're dealing with, they're up against forces they can't control because they don't have the authority. The Lord Jesus Christ will have the authority 
because he will have the full authority of his Father in heaven, the God of heaven, the one who created this earth. And the Lord Jesus has been invested with that power and he has the authority to issue commands and they will be done. And he will reign in Jerusalem over the whole world, a world that will be at peace. This is the good news of the gospel. It's what Jesus preached in his three and a half year ministry. And it appeals to all of us. And the key is to learn of what God requires of us and to be in harmony with our God. And we would urge you to learn more of what you need to do to be in harmony with the God of heaven. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.